Hello, Cairo callers. We asked you all to share the earliest moments you remember and some reflections on how they resonate today. We're really touched by your response. One of our great pleasures in making this podcast has been making it with all of you. This is a podcast by friends for friends. Like the episode we did with Valentine's, this is made of your voices. We have myths dating back to the 1910s and lived memories right from the 1930s up to yesterday, like 2020s. One Cairo caller remembers being a month old, and another uh, remembers being old enough to get angry with his family, run off and sell the goat at the market. And that's just the beginning of that story. There's a lot here. There are memories in our own words. My parents shared our family myths. One dear family contributed with three generations of memories and another with three siblings sharing their memory. And we also have one of chasing pigeons. That's in Arabic. It's immediately, so when you hear the Arabic, now it's about pigeons. And it's immediately followed by an English translation. These are our first memories. They're the myths sensations and moments from our early lives that marked us and often still make us. This is Kyra calling. Sophie, can you tell me about the first thing you can remember a long, long time ago? What can you remember? I don't know. What was happening a long, long time ago? I can't remember. I was dead. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, Four. I, I don't know. Can you remember when you were one years old? Mm. <laughs> no. Can you remember when you were two years old? Yes. What did you do when you were two years old? You were a baby. No, I did cry. Oh, really? Did you cry a lot? Yeah. Why did you cry when you were two years old? Because I was a bit little. Oh, really? Yeah. And so why would you have cried if you were little? Because little people used to do that. One of my earliest memories is an impossible one. And I have this very clear um, memory of watching the Olympic Games on a tiny, tiny orange TV. It was black and white. And this was the um, 1984 Olympic Games in L.A. And I remember the TV in the middle of the room uh, at my aunt's house in Brazil. And the problem with that memory is that the Olympic Games happened in like July or something. The Summer Olympic Games of 84. And I was born at the end of June 1984. So I was probably a month old uh, when that supposed memory kind of happened. I don't know how that got into my head, but it's just not possible that I remember that um, being one month old. Or maybe it is. I don't really know. It's hard to grasp my first memory because I think my perceptions were so different. I was probably, when I think about it, I was about three years old. We lived in Toronto in an a old apartment building 
there were back stairs in the building. And my best friend, who was also about my age, so probably three, um, we would meet on the back stairs. So it was like the servant's staircase. We lived upstairs, they lived downstairs. And Kismet Liberty and I would meet. And all my, my memory is just about this staircase and the light and seeing my friend. And it's not very articulate, but it's a very strong sense memory of light and feeling um, and space. And I think that how that resonates for me now is how memory can be not in words, but in a, a whole body sense and perception that you can describe in words, but are not, but are not actually embodied in words. And I guess embodied is the word because I, I have a real sense of my self, my physical self. Um, and that's my earliest memory. Thanks. I think my first memory was maybe when we were in the snow. I was with my dad and I definitely remember being incredibly cold. I think I lost a mitten um, and I was being pulled along maybe on a sledge, building a huge snowball. And yeah, I think that would be it. It, it, it wasn't one of those clear blue days it was a gray snow day so everything was white but the sky was white and everybody was white <laughs> um but yeah that's what I remember so I believe we're sharing stories about childhood um and when I think back in my mind the the earliest memories I have are often of the beach um my nana lived in this house um, on the northern beaches of Sydney and um, I would spend a lot of my summers there and I have these these sort of flashbacks of like sunshine, sea and sand and connected with these flashbacks are a feeling, like this sort of joyful feeling. Um, and then I know whenever in my life um, it, it's not really that like such a clear through line but um, mm. – through my life, whenever there is something that has, like, you know, some big decision to make or something that is bothering me or, sh or stressing me out, like the beach has sort of been that that place where I can sort of uh, recenter and, yeah, get get back that that early feeling of childhood of like just pure happiness, really. So um, that's 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 it for me. I really like this invitation to share our first memory. Um, so I'm going to share. This one with you. Actually, it's uh, more of a general thing and one specific memory. So here it goes. Um, when I was little and my parents were still together and we were still, uh, let's say, a normal family, um, we would always have these super elaborate Sunday morning breakfasts where we would have each a soft boiled egg and we would press fresh orange juice and... Mm, we would make these little croissants that are not really good, you know, these cans that you pop open on the counter and then you roll them yourself. Um, I don't remember their name, but yeah, so we would have these and um, 
Yeah, so these are really fond memories of mine to sit at the table together Sunday morning and uh, have breakfast together. And this specific memory is of one time when we went to, me and my brothers, we stayed with my grandmother at her house in Rotterdam just for the weekend. And my grandmother, um, she passed away a few years ago, but she became a very significant person in my life and I miss her very, very often. She was super important to me. Anyway, this grandmother, we would stay there, me and my brothers, and on Sunday morning, we prepared this elaborate breakfast together. And um, I don't know exactly what happened, but I think my grandmother left the room for a few minutes, uh, either to go to the bathroom or to do something somewhere else. And me and my brothers sat at the table and started eating without her. And I must have been maybe seven or eight, seven, I guess. And my, both my brothers were younger. And I remember my grandmother coming back from whatever she was doing and she got really, really upset with us. And it is the only time, really the only time I remember her getting upset with us and not only upset, but I could see she was hurt that we had started eating without her, even though we were little kids. And now I have my own family or I have a son. I have a husband and a son who is almost two years old now. And now on Sunday morning, I like to put on this elaborate breakfast and I take it very seriously and make sure that there are eggs. And I make, bake my own bread, of course. And um, yeah, and I really enjoy this. And I hope that my son Leo in the future will have similar fond memories of breakfast on Sunday. So when it comes to childhood, I remember when I used to wake up uh, at 6 a.m., rain pouring from the window, and my mom calling for me while the teapot is boiling. We would uh, have some patayer, some tatars, uh, some uh, bread, and other things, macdus as well, and my mom would be preparing all of this, and we would drink some tea, and then the uh, yellow small bus that we had would come to the house, and we would put on, I would put on my red coat and just walk and go to school with my brother. These were like the pure days where of my childhood that I had the best time of my life, and compared now to the destruction that has happened to my country, I hold on to these memories as part of what makes me move moves forward because you cannot go back to what was lost, but we can always go forward. I was born in Soviet Union in the early 80s. My parents were Russian and we lived in Lithuania as these things went at the time. My dad was in the army, so we moved around a lot. And my parents' parents, my extended family, were all in Russia. So when we were little, my brother and I, um, in our early childhood, we would spend a couple of months in summer with our grandparents. Um, I didn't really know as a kid how um, difficult things were getting in in Soviet Union at the time. Um, but I guess a sign of the times was that people were allowed to sell extra produce that they were growing in the little allotments that people had in, in small towns. Uh, and my grandparents, they grew strawberries. 
they were both working. My grandfather was working at a factory and my grandma was uh, managing an after-school care center. But they still went and sold strawberries, which my mom, my grandma called Victoria on on the markets on the weekends. So one of my earliest memories is sitting in the back of my granddad's Moskvich, an old car, uh, and camel-colored vinyl seats uh, at the back on a sunny summer day, surrounded by buckets of strawberries that I was not allowed to eat, but I definitely would try to sneak in a few a few berries here and there. And and the smell, the smell of the ripe berries that uh, was surrounding is something that brings me back to that moment. It's incredible how smells can really connect you to something quite unconscious and barely remembered. And for me now, if I want to feel like I'm back in my carefree childhood, all I need to do is find ripe strawberries that were left in the sun and inhale and there it is my personal time machine taking me back to my grandparents and feeling loved and to the summer and to the whole bright future ahead of me i was born in the 1940s 46 actually uh, and i don't remember very much about the 40s um, but by 1950, my parents had moved to Newstead Abbey in Nottinghamshire, which was a small cottage, a small cottage in the grounds of this uh, famous old Augustinian monastery that was abolished in 1538 and then became the home of the Barons for many years. And um, it was uh, a wonderful park to grow up in because you could roam around without any um, restrictions as, as youngsters once, once you were old enough to roam around. And uh, there was a lake, uh, in fact several lakes, and there was a waterfall and you could go up some steps and underneath the waterfall. So uh, that was uh, quite exciting to do, but the best there was a little stream that ran down after the waterfall where there were tiddlers. And so taking your net and catching tiddlers was a great occupation for us young boys. Then going a bit further into the gardens, there was a a wonderful old um, fir tree. It was one where you could climb up the branches and stick your head through the top. So it was always a race between me and my brother and my friend, uh, and, and, and our mothers would sit on a park bench about 150 yards away and, and we'd see who could get to the top and stick their head out first and say, look, I'm here. And it was a good, you know, 20, 30 feet up, so it was a good climb. Uh, and, and there were more exciting bits of the gardens, like uh, the stew pond where the monks used to uh, keep uh, fish for eating on Fridays, and the Eagle Pond, which was a formal lake square, uh, walked around it, where the um, monks from the uh, abbey had uh, thrown their eagle lectern when the uh, 
and Cromwell's men came round to try and abolish them. So this is history going back um, uh, for, for over 400 years that was still quite uh, well remembered at the time. And so that was the, uh, my recollections of growing up. Well, this story is supposed to have occurred during the war in the summer of 1944, when I was two and a half. And I'd better say at once that I have no recollection of any of these events. However, this story as it has come down from primarily my mother, is that at that time she was living with a woman called Alma Chalkland, who had a daughter called Joanna. And I rather think there's another daughter called Rita, but she's not part of the story. And they lived in Lissington Gardens, which is in Hampstead, and is still there, or at least it was when I, still, when I last looked, in an apartment. And outside Lissington Gardens, there is the Hampstead Heath, and a very pleasant place in the summer to sit down and do your knitting while the children play. And that's exactly what Alma was doing. So it was one of her afternoons for looking after the children. So I was playing with Joanna while Alma did some knitting. And she came to the row and had a complicated turn and looked up, and there we weren't. So she got up and started looking. And she went on looking. And no David and no Joanna. And it wasn't, it was a fair number of people. And I suppose she asked some of them. But none of them had seen a little boy and a little girl. Joanna, I should say, was six, six months younger than I was. Um, a little boy and a little girl wandering hand in hand or otherwise. So when my mother came home from work, as she did not long after this, Alma had to confess that there was a couple of missing places at the table. And there was a general, a general hustle and bustle. However, you understand that this was wartime, and some things were much simpler and easier then. And in particular, you didn't get hordes of reporters gathering round you. So I suppose that they told the police, and I suppose that the police said they would keep a lookout, but nobody was seriously searching. Well, among the other people that they told was my Aunt Celia, who lived, as I recall, half a mile, three quarters of a mile from across the heath from where we had vanished. And they told her about it in general principles, vaguely hoping, I suppose, that we'd gone there, because I, I don't doubt that I knew the way, even if Joanna didn't. But we did not, had not turned up at Aunt Celia's house. And Aunt Celia had guests that evening, as she very often did, and one of them was a man called Donald MacDonald. The MacDonald is because nobody actually knew. But anyway, the Donald was clear enough. And he came to dinner that evening. And as he came in, he said, you know, I saw two young children down at South End Green with the buses. And they look a bit like Jeff, David and Joanna. Can that be right? And Aunt Celia said, oh, my God, yes. 
turned the cuckoo off and ran down to South End Green to collect us. And um, it was evident that we had at some point been unhappy because you could see the grime, grime marks of tears down our cheeks. But as she found us, we were perfectly happy watching the buses. So she hustled us home, and I expect people, they had telephones. I'm not absolutely sure of that. Celia, I'm sure, would have had a telephone. I suppose there was a telephone in the other, the other apartment. So she rang up, and my mother came and collected me and Joanna. Um, and in the, in the bath, which I clearly sorely needed, I said, Jojo cried. Didn't admit to crying myself. And that's the only phrase that anybody ever had. Um, I am from Vietnam, and uh, my parents were born and brought up in the north of my country. And uh, 10 years after the war between the Vietnam and America, uh, my country got united from both of the north and the south. And uh, this was also the time my parents finished their bachelor in the unit. And uh, they decided to re relocate it to the south for the new opportunity on job and living. Um, at that time, uh, they were 20, uh, worked at the same company, and fell in love at the first sight. Uh, hopefully, uh, it is truly romantic and they own way told to me. Um, I still remember exactly when I were five years old. Um, it was the first time I traveled with my parents. Uh, from the south to pay the visit to my grandfather and my grandmother in the north. Um, the train trip was quite far and the distance was almost uh, 1,000 miles. Uh, it took us two days and the train wasn't like the Ritter Australia train in here. So uh, half of the trip, my dad and I uh, went to the toilets in the train uh, the train was slow, but uh, luckily, its toilets were look exactly uh, to that in the train here. And um, so you can imagine it's now. Um, my turns were first, and uh, then so uh, then it go to my dad's turn. And um, at the moment, uh, my dad said to me, that uh, stay here uh, to wait and don't move. But I didn't know why somehow I heard uh, the opposite meaning. Uh, don't wait here and let move back. I am a bit confused at the moment, uh, but I was confident that maybe my dad think uh, I can remember the way to go back. Uh, so let go and don't wait him there. Uh, then I went right away, but unfortunately, I went with the wrong direction. Um, I worked and I believe that uh, I will uh, see my mom soon. Uh, who were waiting for my dad and me to come back. Uh, minutes by minutes and um, working in the aisle, I did not see my my mom. So, and uh, I work faster and I starting to worry as hundreds of eyes looking to me while I were working. Um, at a child of five, it was the first time I uh, felt like that's my heart rate run so fast. And uh, it was so nervous and panic, but I cannot stand or stop working. And uh, so you guys can imagine that at the moment, uh, a child of five years old uh, had a ton of idea in his mind. 
should I stand or should I cry and yell as I were getting lost or just keep walking? Uh, but after all, I was I still decided to walk and looking around to find where is my parents. Um, I did not remember exactly uh, how far and how long I walked until now. Uh, but it's, it's the, the longest walk uh, that I have ever had in my life. Uh, and at the end, I am lucky enough when my dad runs and casts me on my way. Uh, sometimes I still thinking that's what will happen to my life if someone take me off of the chains, not my dad. And I cannot imagine about this, but it's the first and also the unforgettable memory of my life. So how about you guys on your first memory? Uh, please say it to me and thank you guys so much. Bye. So first memories are kind of strange because you don't know if they're your memories or a memory of a story that's been told to you about your childhood or not. But definitely some of my very first memories are being taken to daycare with my little brother. And there was a big square bay window you could look out of the front of the house. And I remember hugging and clutching my brother and us crying in the window for our mom and dad. And I remember seeing my father in the driver's seat of the van and my mother. And I can still see them at that age, which would have been early 30s. And I still see them at that age and clutching my brother and he and I just crying, going screaming for mommy, mommy and daddy, please don't leave us. Please don't leave us. Um, I think if I remember correctly, it was my brother who would start crying and I would try to soothe him by putting my arms around him. But then I would start crying too. And um, because my father uh, was self-employed, manual labor, more often than not, (laughs) they would come back in and get us. (laughs) And I remember seeing my mother cry because, you know, obviously she's responding to seeing her two kids screaming and crying in the window. Um. I guess uh, that resonates with a lot of things with how I am these days with the fact that, um, you know, I do still try to soothe people when I see that they're, they're upset and more often than more often times than not, I end up crying too. <laughs> and um, it's actually my mother's birthday today. And I always tell her, you know, I wish you were going to be around forever because another first childhood memory is me realizing death <laughs> and how distraught it was that um, I realized my mother wasn't going to be around my whole life. And I learned that and realized that at a very young age and that, wow, this, <laughs> so those are some of my early memories. And um, yeah, I, I think about those times when, you know, my mom might get be, be getting on my nerves. <laughs> I think about, you know, how much I actually do want her around. And um, 
so yeah, that's some early childhood memories. Uh, so my first memory, what I think is my first memory, based on um, the fact that we moved houses when I was three, so and this took place at my first house, so I must have been about three, and my parents don't remember this memory, so I think it's not just uh, me recreating a, something from their stories. So this is what I think to be my first memory takes place in the park in front of my first house. Um, it was a small park uh, with really just benches and some trees. And I was there with my father and I saw a bird on the ground, a baby bird, and it couldn't fly. And I soon understood from my father that uh, he thought that the wing was broken and maybe it had fallen out of the nest or the tree and it couldn't fly. And I remember, um, the feeling of understanding that it was, it had lost its parents or its home and it was by itself and it was hurting and in pain and that it was probably going to die. It was an overwhelming feeling of, um, sadness and, and I'm, I think empathy really, like just feeling like imagining what that would feel like being in that position, thinking how I'm, unfair the world was um for the probably for the first time just understanding the heaviness that it could be and just feeling I remember just thinking how much I wanted it not to be true and so we took my dad I think probably felt that now that I'm a parent I wouldn't I'm you know, putting myself in his place I imagine that he felt quite hurt watching me be hurt so we we took the bird back into the house and we tried to I think, keep it alive. It didn't last very long. I think for a day or two, we tried to feed it mashed up worms or something like that until it, until it died. And, um, I just, I think that the death actually was not the most difficult part. It was, I think it was the, the first part, just sort of the, the suffering part. And I think since then I've always been, very um, unable to handle the suffering of uh, non-human animals, especially in movies. And so I, I can't really hear stories about animal abuse. Um, and then that sort of changed when I became a parent about three years ago. Um, and I, and I, I hadn't really been very attuned to um or sensitive to stories of human suffering so much as animals. And that, that sort of reversed after having kids. And now I have even disclaimers about which shows can be recommended to me. They're not allowed to have, um, you know, anything to do with children getting hurt or suffering parents. Uh, and, and I'm much less, um, empathetic towards animals than I used to be just, you know, in that time period, I think I have less space in my, my emotional bank than I used to. And there's, you know, um, but I still, I still remember that sort of gut wrenching, um, sadness that I felt for the first, I, th- I guess it was probably the first time and it was a, it left a big impression on me. 
Um, I'm not sure. I don't think this is my first memory. I think this is a very early memory, um, but it's one of the clearest ones and also one of the quirkiest ones. Um, I think that I was in junior kindergarten, so maybe uh, four or three, four, and and we were allowed out during recess time where there was this great big playground structure made of wood and it was sort of shaped like a boat and probably it's not that big or that great but it felt really just spectacular at that age and I was out and I used to like to hide with another friend of mine Sarah under the what was the body of the boat like on very where it curved down and there was a little area where you're almost touching with your head the the bottom the body of what was sort of the boat and under it and um today that day there was uh, another girl with us whose name i can't remember and she had brought something out of her jacket it was a a, a little figurine of um a a kind of a baby it looked like an old-fashioned figurine it was like the size of a kid's thumb really tiny and it was an old-fashioned looking baby with a bonnet or something all made of mm, i don't know porcelain or something it was a bit delicate and i just became obsessed with this this figurine i liked it so much i thought it was so neat but it was i can't explain it rationally i just wanted it and this girl wouldn't give it to me um you know justifiably now thinking now because it was hers and she wanted it too and she obviously thought it was pretty neat because she had brought it to school to show her friends but i had um, so much trouble accepting that I couldn't have it. I just, it felt, um, like a deep injustice. I remember the feeling more than the, what we said or what happened just of, um, it didn't make sense. Any rational arguments of why I couldn't have it. The teacher told me, my friend, Sarah even told me, the girl told me, you know, no, it's not yours. And I remember thinking like, but it, I just, I, I want it to be so badly that it just sort of has to be, I want it, I want it. Um, I, I probably would have, I don't know. I don't know what happened after that. I know that there was more drama surrounding me and this porcelain figurine. I'm not sure exactly how Maybe I stole it or tried to or something, but, um, remembering this, this kind of core memory uh, it wasn't something that I remembered for almost my whole life until um, I had a, a baby, I had a kid four years ago, and she's now hitting that age. And I now see kids playing in the park together. Um, and when one of them is sort of fascinated by a toy, all the parents, and, and it's someone else's toy, and they and they play with it and the kid whose toy it is wants it back all the parents sort of come together to help right the wrong and get the toy back to the owner this concept of private property and i see also my little girl but other kids how much they want 
this toy. And the, the concept that it's somebody else's is just an impossible concept for a kid that age. And it's hard for a parent, I think, to really em- empathize. You just sort of want your kid to be good and to share, to do these things. And it's hard to just put yourself in their shoes and imagine how hard it must be to sort of have something so amazing and interesting flashed before you and and not be able to have it and not understand why you can't. Because sometimes you can have these fascinating things that you want and then sometimes you can't. And I just, it, um, it, I remembered this memory based on seeing these kids and just thinking, whoa, I, I know what you feel like. It's, it is a, a deep injustice. Um, I don't know, private, private property of ownership. It's a deep injustice. Um, so I'm laying here and thinking about my first memory. And it's quite funny because this week I've been having experiences where I feel my memory has been a little bit unreliable. I've been forgetting really simple things, um, songs I was singing yesterday. But so to cast my mind that far back <laughs> felt a little bit challenging, but important. Um, so on the subject of my memory feeling quite unreliable, I don't know if what I'm going to share is my first memory or a very early for early memory. But I have two, <laughs> which I hope you don't mind me sharing. The first one is I was born in Zimbabwe and I remember I grew up in a small city slash town um, and while Zimbabwe is reasonably diverse, I didn't live in an area that was culturally diverse. So everybody I grew up around is black and African like me and my family. And I distinctly remember the first time I laid eyes on a white person. It was a boy, um, a man. Um, probably on some volunteer program from a European country or North America. And my mum had sent my brothers to go buy bread. And because I was the albatross around their neck, I really begged them to take me with me. I begged them to take me with them. And we were walking to the shop. So they were running in front of me, trying to leave me behind. And I saw this white man and, you know, we had television. So I I had seen white people on television. And I guess as a child, I just assumed white people existed in the television and not in real life. And I kind of remember the shock and the stillness and trying to process what was going on in that time. And it's quite interesting. My work is taking me all over the UK and in really fun parts of the world. And I'm always quite interested as a black woman in Britain, um, when I speak to other people of colour, people have unfortunately got lots of stories to tell about racism or microaggressions and sometimes just outright aggression that they face as, you know, an ethnic um, minority in this country. And I'm always quite fascinated by children's responses to things that are different to what they're used to. And whenever I see a child, you know, I've worked in different parts of the UK and I've had children stare at me like the same kind of like, whoa, what's going on? And I never I don't take offence. Because I remember being maybe three and a half years old. I hadn't started school, so I can't even fall. I hadn't started nursery. So I was quite a young child and having this experience for the first time of somebody or a person that was very different to anybody that I'd ever seen before. And I'm always, and how has that stuck with me? It stayed with me because whenever I see people who are quite surprised by things, quite surprised by ideas I haven't been exposed to yet, I can go back to being three and a half years old and being introduced to new information about the world around me for the first time. Um, And it keeps me optimistic. 
about the people in my life. We live in increasingly polarized times globally. But I think when you look closely, when I look at my community and the amazing work that people do here every day to feed the homeless, clothe the sick, house, uh, house people who need housing, it draws me back to that childlike wonder, but also fear. I'm often afraid when I see things for the first time and I'm confronted by something that I ha- that challenges my worldview. But I'm also emboldened by the fact that I'm somebody who can receive new information and assimilate it into who I am. So, um, yeah, I said I was going to share two memories, but I thought the first one was going to be quick. So I'm only going to share this one memory that I have. And I'm not sure it's my first one, but like I said, my memory is feeling a little bit unreliable at the moment. But I definitely remember that incident and I take that with me in everything that I do in life to keep my eyes wide open, be receptive to new information and to look at other people and recognize that they, too, are moving in a world where they are constantly receiving new information that might challenge um, things that they have long held to be true. Thanks and um, bye for now. Oh, I remember I was... Uh... I was a rich girl in the school because my dad used to go to Jordan a lot. And I, I, live, I used to live in Iraq. I, I still live in Iraq. But in Iraq, the, if you remember, there are years of sanctions. So uh, people did not have access to those like international products. Even they didn't have banana. Because it was sanctioned. Like uh, you cannot just bring anything from outside Iraq. All the countries are against Iraq. Except like people who work in international organization and embassies. So my dad was working with UN, so he was traveling a lot and I, he was bringing, bringing with him all types of products. I was bringing those products to the school and the students would me in the school were oh, where did you bring that? And they were really shocked to see all these nice products from Jordan. So you were the merchant of smuggler. Yeah, yeah. I used, I used to give, even the teachers were coming to me asking for, oh, I want this milk, I want this chips, I want this chocolate. So basic stuff, yeah? Basic uh, chips yeah, and milk. Yeah, a chocolate and chips and this kind of stuff. Hey. I didn't have them back then. Well, the first thing that I remember from my childhood is Boro Bhaiya and Boro Apu, that means my elder siblings, they started a small kiosk type thing uh, in inside our house, the house that located in Shirajgunj. You went there, right, Peter? So they, they just completely disagreed to take me as a partner. I cried a lot and I tried a lot to convince them that take me as a partner or a salesman but, you know, they just uh, didn't. So this is the first thing, the first memory that I have remembered uh, in, uh, from my childhood. There are lots of memories there in my ch- childhood, but uh, this, this one I, I will rate uh, number one. I hope uh, you will like my, what is called, memories or whatever it is. <laughs> Thanks, PT. Hello, Peter. Um, I want to tell you my earliest memory that I was about two years when I was 
out with my uh, family and uh, we were in the park and I was in a pushchair and uh, there were balloons all around and uh, suddenly I saw my mother walk away with a strange man and I got really panicked and I started screaming and then the woman turned around and it wasn't my mother, Uh, she was just wearing a similar coat and then Yes, later, um, we were talking about this, and my mother said, yes, I remember that. We wondered what had happened to you. It was the 1st of May celebrations, and there were all balloons around, which I had remembered. And that's why I knew that I was only just two, because it was just after my birthday. So that's the one. Bye. One of the first things I remember is nursery when I was around four there was this uh, Japanese show that I like called Dengeki Sendai Chained Man uh, and it was a bit like Power Rangers uh, but earlier than that I guess and it was these guys who turned into sort of, sort of superhero types um, it was a day at nursery when we were allowed to I mean, dress up. Uh, my mom somehow managed to find a change man costume. Me, my favorite one, which was the black one. And it had a mask. And it was basically some, the mask was pretty similar. And the, and the rest was just some very fine, uh, you know, trousers and a shirt. And, but the, the material that it was made of was just very, very, very almost transparent. It was just very, very thin. And I was wearing uh, yellow pants underneath. And I remember the uh, arriving at nursery feeling really happy with my costume. But then all the other kids started making fun of me because they could see my yellow pants through the black trousers. And uh just have this image of these kids laughing at me uh, when I was four years old, dressed like a, the black change man. I like Your first word. memories. First memory. Wow. I don't, I don't know. I remember. I remember kindergarten. I remember uh, just going there without washing my face in the morning and my mom fighting with me that I need to wash my face before going. Uh, you grew up in Cairo? To, yeah, I grew up in Cairo. And my uh, yeah, my hair was always messy. I looked exactly the way I am today. No improvements. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're a good looking man, so you're a good looking boy. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> Early memories. Uh, well, my father, he was a major in the British Army and he was a tall and handsome and had a dark bristly moustache and when we were children he would sit on the weekends and spread out the enormous daily telegraph really full size and we would crawl across the carpet in front of him and try not to be seen and try and get as far as his shoes his shiny black shoes so that we could put his shoelaces undone but he would pretend he didn't know we were there. I expect he was pretending until the very last minute when he'd suddenly the paper would come down with with um, a crumple 
and he would grab us and lift us up onto his knee and um, bend right down and snuffle in the back of our necks with that bristly black moustache and lots of hot, wet coffee breath. And it was both um, uh, uh, delightful and, uh, and a torture, and we loved it. Um, and the other time when I remember his moustache was really bizarre, but I'd gone into the tiny, dark, narrow downstairs toilet in our army quarters, and when I came to get out, something had happened, and I couldn't. I was battling, I was um, rattling and banging, rather, not battling and banging. I was um, uh, trying to get out, and in the end, I was screaming uh, for people to let me out. And um, what actually happened was that two of the soldiers came to the outside of the door and were saying something to me, but we lived in Scotland then and I couldn't understand it and I didn't want to let go of the door handle and they then went away and the next thing I heard was a scraping sound against the wall behind the toilet and when I looked round there was a very tiny window and my father's moustache appeared in the tiny window space and he was saying come here I'll give you a carrot. I was watching his moustache moving and then a carrot appeared through the tiny window. So I rushed back um, uh, uh, to climb on the loose seat to try and get this carrot. And at that moment, there was an almighty smash and crash. And one of the soldiers bashed in the door and it had glass, frosted glass in it. So the little room seemed to fill with this broken glass and his hand came through and slid back the boat, and I was rescued. That's it. Thank you. All right. So the prompt is my first memory from childhood. So I remember this um, plastic camera. It was a toy, and it was pink, and it had yellow buttons in a little lens and I remember having it in my in my hand and it was my birthday so you know I have this memory of this object that I could take pictures with and I had always seen my dad taking pictures he was so obsessed with taking pictures and you know he was the classic dad who would like you know, tell everyone we're going to take a picture and it would take a long time. He was like setting up the, what do you call, the thing where you put the camera, you know, on top and, and we would be like, okay, ya, ya acabaste. And he would like take his time. But secretly, even though I was like four years old, I admired that. He, he wanted so much perfection in capturing that moment. So having a camera was really important to me because it was like introducing me to that world. And it was very colorful. And next to the camera was my birthday cake, which was a Minnie Mouse-like cake. It didn't quite look like Minnie Mouse, but it had all of these colors and there was a lot of cream on top. And then the eyes of Minnie Mouse were like made out of jelly and I was really excited. I used to love my birthdays and there's a lot of documentation in childhood pictures about my love for birthdays. What I remember also from 
you know, that one memory with the camera and the cake is this sort of excitement because it was my special day. Later on, I began looking at pictures of this time. And what's interesting about these pictures is that people didn't look so happy, but I looked particularly excited, Um, which makes me reflect on perhaps how I framed things differently when I was little, how idealistic I was, and I'm still idealistic, how much I like a colorful existence, and I love, love taking pictures. And perhaps what I take pictures of is still colorful, even though others quite don't quite understand what are these pictures that I'm taking, and what are the words that I'm writing on a paper. But it's a powerful memory because it connects me with a legacy of my dad, and that's very central to who I am. A lot of what I learned from my dad is what how I shape you know, how I understand the world and also embracing who I am, you know, colors and excitement and celebrating me. So that's my first memory. So childhood memories, first memories. Uh, When I look back to my childhood, look at my, my very early memories, I think they all revolve around family and family gatherings, uh, mostly happy memories. Uh, my my grandparents visiting us at our home or we gathering at their place with my cousins. Uh, and they're mostly bright, mostly happy. Some of them are in my nursery, I guess. And but the most solid one, like the the very early memory that I can like can really remember in details, is a is a birthday party uh, that my family uh, did. Probably it was five. Uh, like it was a big party where like like the extended family was here, and one of the reasons I probably remember this uh, this event in details because like it was like there were a lot of pictures uh, from 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 this event. It's one of the reasons I try to document uh, all my. Uh, my kids' uh, uh, events and like small things, uh, uh, like whether whether through videos or like still photos, because like it really helps uh, having uh, having those photos and documentation for those memories. What were you going to ask? So, um, when you say an earliest memory, do you mean? Um, an earliest memory that I've seen in a picture or my earliest memory from my mind. Um, um, because if it was in a picture, that would be before the one that is in my mind. Well, why don't we start with the one in your mind? <clears throat> okay, so um, I'm pretty sure an earliest memory 
would probably be when I was about five or six, maybe four, um, and we were in Australia. I've got uh, three pictures in my mind of this. One of them is just going down a hill where suddenly the trees clear out and there is a beach. There's a second one where we're just where I'm just running across a sandy road next to you. And a third one where I remember we were in this big car and I was in my car seat. I was so, so close to getting to sleep. But um, every second of the... um, But all the time there would be these really... There would be these really steep bumps and so I wouldn't be able to get to sleep. That was on Fraser Island, wasn't it? No idea, but... (laughs) (laughs) And what's your earliest memory from a picture? Uh, My earliest memory from a picture... I don't know which one is earlier. Um, It's either when we were in Africa somewhere and there um, there was an elephant. So we were on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. I think it was quite... It was quite a long edge. And there was and there was an elephant um, walking towards us. <laughs> really cool. Um, with like no blockages <laughs> between us and the elephant. Uh, and then the other one that it could be was um, actually me with maybe Rebecca, someone like that, my cousin, and I just um, and I, I was just sort of having a nice time. Um, and around. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you, darling. <laughs> فأنا كنت عايزة أقف زي الحمامة دي فوق الكومة رحت جرية 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 ونطة وقف عشان أقف فوق الكومة فما وقفتش فوقيها ولكن غطست فيها فطبعا تلعوني وأنا بعيط وكده ودوني ماما وطبعا ماما كانت هتقتلني لأنه طبعا الكومة دي طلعت روثوا الحيوانات وطلعت لسه مازالت طرية فعشان كده أنا غطست فيها يعني وما طلعتش بقى حاجة نشفة وطبعا الحمامة كانت واقفة عليها عشان الحمامة خفيفة جدا وانا مش قدها يعني فدي من ذكرياتي الجميلة جدا المبهجة الغبية جدا So this happened a long time ago when I was a little kid we visited the countryside and stayed at my grandfather and uncle's farm I was very young it was before school so I was maybe around four years old I was super excited to explore the farm and I found a big pile and I didn't know what it was And on top of this big pile stood a pigeon. And I was small and silly, and I wanted to be standing on top of this pile like the pigeon. So I ran, ran, ran towards the pile and jumped on top of it. But instead of landing on top, I sunk inside. And of course, they then all came out to pull me out crying, and my mom was going to kill me because it turned out that the pile was a pile of soft manure, and it was fresh. That's why I fell inside of it. And of course, the pigeon was actually light. Unlike me, that's why I was able to stand on top of it. So this is one of my beautiful memories, very happy and very silly. I remember that 
uh, once I went to reception and I saw my friend Isra and I was very happy to see her but there was a pretend desk and a real desk and it got mixed up. I thought the pretend desk was actually the real desk and the real desk was the pretend desk. My very first memory, I think, was when my baby brother was born. I can remember my mother being in bed and my grandmother coming to stay. And I can remember this thing, baby brother in the cot at the foot of the bed. I, I don't know that I remember one thing or another about it. My first memory of the church was fairly shortly after that. I must have been three or four being taken to what we called the baby's class at the church and we were making a half bubble out of, we used to have milk butter tops with a hole in the middle and you put all round them and I struggled with this and I couldn't really do it and then the next week the lady bought a beautiful pram ornament that were these two beautiful... And she said, that's what you made. Do those memories resonate for you at all today? I don't know. I think that now it would be a matter of total memories. She was very, very ill. There were no antibiotics then, OK? So I was sent away. I was sent away to Freyrosh. Freyrosh, which was... the My grandmother was there and Tia Mita was there. And the story goes that Tia Mita took me to a church, took me to a church. I was about two, two and a half or a bit more. And she said, let's pray for your sister to get better. And I said, I don't pray. No reason. Well, this is another story of doubtful provenance and even more doubtful liability, but this is as it has been passed down in my family. My father, John Fremlin, was born in 1913. This is supposed to have happened when he was maybe four years old, which would have been during the war. And he was on a bus with his mother. And he pointed to one of the other people on the bus did God make that lady? Now, I believe my grandmother was something of a free thinker, but this does not seem to be the time to discuss such matters. So she just said yes. Why? Then we moved to Georgia, and I do have some memories of it. We used to live in a four-story building, and I used to live on the third floor, and we had a neighbor on the first floor, and he was like my best friend. He was half Jordanian, half Syrian, and we used to play in the garden all the time and with the cats and stuff. I have really fun memories of that. And then we used to go to the park next to the house and there used to be some slides and swings and we used to play there all the time. I used to come back from school and like go straight to him before even going to my house and stuff. It was like the brother from another mother that I never had. And um, then I have, like, a lot of little memories at school during lunch breaks. I was one of the shy kids, so uh, 
I remember all the dudes used to play football and I used to like just hang around and stuff. For some reason, I used to hang out with the younger kids, like who are two or three years younger than me. And uh, yeah, I was just a really shy kid, so I had difficulty approaching people back then. And it became easier with time. The thing is, I'm an only child, so, so I used to get lonely at home and stuff, so that didn't really help my situation. So yeah, it was an interesting childhood, but moving to different countries uh, was an obstacle. In, uh, but how about to the kid? Say, the best say, friend? Well, I, eventually we had to leave Jordan and uh, we lost touch. And then, and then, like 15 years later, uh, my mom knew a person who lived in there. And that person went to the address of the guy and got his phone number. And then, and then we, we got back in touch, like 20, 15 years later. And it was amazing because it felt like we just spoke yesterday. That's how, that's how it feels with your true friends, right? Your childhood friends. And very, how is he now? He's doing good. He studied computer engineering at university. Life has been busy and I haven't been keeping in touch with him like regularly. Is he still in Jordan? Last time we spoke, yeah. We used to have some long distance phone calls from time to time, even though the internet was cheaper. But, you know, we're old school people. I always used to call him on the phone in the house and his mom used to answer then. Yeah, I kind of miss that. Now it's all online and chatting, and I miss the face-to-face interaction and the, and the voice, the voice calls via phone. So when was the last time you talked to him? Uh, I guess around a year ago, maybe a bit more. I should send him a message. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. And when it comes to my childhood. Childhood memories. I've never been on a boat when I was a child, so... Uh, This is gonna be well. It's, I still, I believe that right now. Okay, I'm 30 years old, but I'm also 25. I'm also 20. I'm also 15 and 10 and nine or like you know Russian matryoshkas. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it goes it goes inside. And there is a little childish Aziz in me who is I don't know maybe three or five years old who is now excited about making new friends and being in a new place and trying and trying new experiences. Uh, yeah, and for everyone listening, big, big hello. <laughs> Hi, Peter. Uh, this is very nice uh, initiative, and I appreciate it. Uh, the kind of quality is very nice to share the uh, childhood memories. So I would like to share my uh, memory. So this is like uh, a bit interesting for me when I hear it. I recall this memory. I feel like uh, what I did in my childhood. So, uh, like, uh, like when I was uh, like twelve, uh, uh, ten to twelve years old. At that time, I was a uh, bit uh, frustrated uh, with my uncle and grandmother. And that time, my grandmother uh, she uh, rearing uh, the goats. 
So I uh, pick up one of the goats uh, from the field and I I sold in the market and I uh, like <laughs> I had uh, some money from uh, selling the that goats and uh, after that I realized that uh, I did a mistake. It shouldn't be uh, like uh, I shouldn't do do that. Then uh, what I did like uh, I I was a bit afraid uh, because if my parents hear this sort of uh, uh, things I I made uh, maybe my parents uh, like beat uh, me then uh, I took the decision to go far away from my my hometown so uh, what I did like um, I just uh, out my home and I just you know, um, where I am living in Rachi is the very nearest uh, uh, the, the Indian border. And, and <clears throat> between the Indian border, there is a river. So I crossed the river by boat and I crossed the Indian border as well. And um, in the India, uh, in, the, in the border side, I have uh, some relatives, they live there. And somehow I went there. So at that time, like, uh, I uh, feel like uh, when I realize uh, these sort of things, I, I feel that I did a very uh, a dangerous steps I uh, took that time. And this is, this is like one of the uh, interesting memories from uh, childhood. So this is one and I would like to share my another memory that is like uh, uh, related to my uh, what I say like uh, disability movement. Um, so when I was study in the primary school, like my age was that time ten, yeah, nine to ten. So that time one man came my house, like uh, visit my house, and they that time they. Uh, like uh, they, they, they were uh, doing some survey to identify the person's disability. And they, they, that time they are forming some like uh, self-help group. And, that, uh, and, and they discuss with my parents they, and they, they, they discuss uh, why they are uh, uh, do, uh, doing the survey and why they wanted to form some self-help group in, in my village. So, and after that, my parents was convinced and uh, my parents was uh, uh, insist, insist me to go there. So I joined the uh, self-help group at that time. And that time uh, they had motivated me like, uh, like how, what kind of, uh, uh, like in the, in the group meeting, I saw that lots of persons with disability came came there and they're sharing their views, their problems and 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 other people like uh, the, the organizers, they are also like hearing very uh, attentively and uh, also sharing the way forward. So I feel very interesting that sort of conversations and and they they invite us, uh, me and other people also in regular basis and in weekly basis in a, in a place and slowly slowly i i like uh, 
uh, I, I my interests uh, were grown up and I become a very active member of this group. My friend Peter wanted to know um, if you can remember one of the earliest things that you remember about being a baby. Can you remember anything about when you were really little? What do you think is the first memory that you have? You're not sure? Is there anything like when you were, when we still lived in Brighton? Do you have anything about then? Do you still remember anything from there? No. Do you remember when you first went swimming or? No. No? So what, what can you remember? Can you remember anything from last week? No. No? Do you have any memory? I remember when I was at nursery. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Oh, good. <laughs> what do you remember about it? I remember when he was there and he was there and my thoughts didn't see the living so many people. And was there anything special about it? No. Was there a place that you liked to play in? What was that? The top bit. Ah, what was it, the top bit? Castle thing, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a castle thing. And what did the castle thing have? Um, it's got stairs and it's got poles and it's got climbing walls. Oh, wow. And, and it's got slides and it's got... um One of your earliest memories. Do you like that? Yeah. Okay, so Martin, we're going to talk about the first thing that you remember. Can you tell me what it is? It was in the dining room. Um, I said, kissed him good night. You what? I said, kissed him good night. I don't understand. Who did you say it to? Everyone. And did you kiss everybody good night? No. Tell me about the earliest thing that you remember from our family. Do you remember when Sophie was born? No. Do you remember when she was a baby? No. I remember when you were born. I can remember when I was fat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean you were fat. It means when Rory said I was fat when I was a baby. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. Is that it? You don't remember anything else? Uh, I can remember when he said something just now. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the memories, thanks to everyone who shared parts of your lives with us. As you heard, some people were recording from their bedrooms, some people were getting foxbrooked by Dodie and me at parties, some people were getting quizzed by their parents, and I was quizzing my parents. We really appreciate what you shared. We couldn't make this without you, and listening to your stories is making us better people. Rath was the creative force behind this. She gave us the prompt. She choreographed the order of memories, and she it's her voice that brings to life that English translation. Ahmed helped uh, gather some memories, Taha helped with translation and vibes, Dodi did fox popping and is, as always, our spiritual leader. 
Tarek makes the music and deals somehow with the dodgy audio we gave him to produce, and I've already chased people until they shared memories. Thanks so much for listening.